Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey, good evening, guys. It's the Finsider Weekly Podcast. Kind of feels like we haven't done this in a very long time, and I don't know why. We missed last week, but feels like it's uh, been a while since we've had a Finsider podcast. Uh, live threads up on Finsider.com like it is every uh, week. Come check us out there. You can always give us a call at 347-326-9461. I'm joined right now by Duke. Duke, how are you tonight? I'm okay. Okay. Oh, so uh, not great, not good, just okay. Yeah, it's kind of busy work. It's tax uh, season. It, it is tax season. So uh, when, when will my 1040 be done? Ah, uh, well, whenever, it, uh, <laughs> whenever we take it to a tax preparer. <laughs> that whole getting W-2s and 1099s and things, that's overrated. Um <laughs> But uh, I think uh, – I'm hoping Keith is going to join us because he wrote in the live thread that he totally forgot about the podcast tonight. So I'm hoping that means that he's going to then call in, but I don't know for sure. But Alpha is in the live thread, and uh, besides wanting Keith to put on pants, which how he knows Keith isn't wearing pants kind of worries me. But he wants to talk team needs, wide receiver, tight end, defensive end. Um I think the only thing he left off there is secondary. I, I, I've been fixated. Obviously, you guys all know it, and Keith and Duke know it especially well. That I'm absolutely in love with D. Milliner. I want that guy, and it, it pains me to say that. The more I think about it, just because he's a freaking Saban guy, but um, I want Milliner, but. That's that's limiting the secondary need to just cornerback. And I think there is more of a need than just cornerback. I think there is a safety need also. So I, th- I think those are obviously the top four needs. Um, you see anywhere else, Duke, that the Dolphins have a need that needs to be addressed early at least, either in free agency or in the draft? Um, general manager. Hey. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, um, <laughs> no, um, I'm serious. Uh, I have, well, Keith uh, has given me credit for it, but I think we both have started the Desmond Trufant bandwagon. And I think Keith and I are to the point now that we would prefer to have him over just about any other player in the draft. Um, and so I, I'm going to try to find... Uh, an article I was looking for, uh, I was I haven't been able to write as much as I wanted to, but I have. Uh, there was a post on um, Pro Football Focus about um, some of their different statistical things about the corners, uh, corners and uh, safeties in terms of the yards that they have yielded. Um, I can find it here. Like the yards they yielded or catches they have yielded over um, catches they have yielded that or catches they've given up that have uh, yielded first downs or touchdowns. I'll get it said here in a minute. Um, I can't. <laughs> want to, sorry. Um, 
here it is. Here's one of them. Signature stat, first downs allowed, safeties. This was when they, these guys were primary coverages out of out of uh, all of the safeties in the league. Chris Clemens rated number one out of 628 snaps. He allowed six total first down or touchdowns all year which was their lowest percentage at 0.96%. Um, Rashad Jones waiting at fifth. Out of 597 snaps, he allowed eight. Um, just to give you a, kind of a rundown of their top ten was Chris Clemens, Eric Weddle, Brian Clark, Jarris Bird, Rashad Jones, M.D. Jennings, um, Harrison Smith, uh, Abdul Kadus, I think that's how you say his name, Raheem Moore, T.J. Ward, and George Wilson. So that's a pretty good list of safeties. Um, yeah, they're not necessarily Pro Bowl names like Ron Landry, who was in the bottom ten. Um, but to me, that shows that these guys are not that bad in coverage. Now, to turn it over to cornerbacks, they had one. Um, oh, great, it says page not found. Fabulous. <laughs> So let me see if I can find that one again. But cornerbacks was a completely different story. Cornerbacks was on the, the opposite end. They were worst in first downs and touchdowns allowed. Uh, our three primary corners, uh, because Marshall didn't qualify because of the number of snaps he played. Out of every cornerback in the league, Sean Smith allowed the most touchdowns or first downs at 46. Now, you know, he he did play more snaps than anyone else. Um, however, Nolan Carroll was fifth from the bottom at 7.95%. He yielded 33 on 415 snaps. Sean Smith was, I believe, 14th. And he had 46 and 624 snaps. And Jimmy Wilson, in 346 snaps, yielded 25. So... And, and we all know about Sean Smith. He, he plays very inconsistent at time to time. But needless to say, I, I don't think safeties are our problem as much. Now, they're not making huge plays. They're not out there turning the game around all the time. But if you look at it, corners are usually in a better position to get interceptions and create turnovers than safeties are because, you know, sometimes safeties have to, can undercut routes and things like that. Right. But a lot of times the, the corner is the guy who's – in primary coverage, so he's the one who gets the first opportunity at the picks. Our safeties generated um, six interceptions. I don't know how many forced fumbles. I know they recovered a couple. Um, our corners had three uh, interceptions all year long. Those interceptions came in back-to-back weeks. Um, Sean Smith had two against Arizona, and Richard Marshall had one against against the Jets. So the way I'm looking at it is we need to upgrade the cornerback position uh, a lot quicker than we need to worry about the safety position. And um, because I think even though we may not have necessarily game-changing safeties, we don't have an Ed Reed back there, we've got guys that are solid and can get the job done. What we don't have are solid starting corners. Right. And Keith and I have talked about this a lot, and I believe that overhauling our cornerback and wide receiver position needs to be the primary primary objective. I mean, a lot of people want pass rusher, and I've been on the pass rusher bandwagon for a, a while. But 
we generated 40-plus sacks. We were in the top 10 in sacks. So getting to the quarterback wasn't the problem. Our secondary was awful. And I gave Sean Smith a lot of benefit of the doubt all season long. But I think the problem is he he can't play some of the coverages that that uh, that Coyle wants to run. I think he's limited because of his size. He's great in press coverage. When he has to play off, his size is, is actually a limitation because he can't, you know, when he's going to a guy like Wes Welker, he can't move as quick or in such a short space as Welker. When he's jamming it out the line, he's good. But these guys that can just beat him with shittiness. So I think we're going to look at, uh, you know, prototypical size corners around the 5'11 to 6'1 range. <laughs> and when you look at that, the guy that stands out the most, in my opinion, is Desmond Trufant. He's going to have the speed. He's got the he's got the athleticism. He's got the, the hip swivel to, to move and cover guys. He's good in press. He's good in off coverage. And I think if you look at a guy like him and maybe bring in a guy like, say, Chris Gamble, if he gets released by the Panthers, that's kind of my that's my hope out there. Is you're looking at overhauling that position and then bringing in a third guy in like the third or fourth round, um, someone like a, a uh, I think his name's Robert Alford from uh, I do not know the name of the school Louisiana something. Uh, bringing a guy like that, I prefer to keep Demetri Patterson over Richard Marshall for our nickel guy. But um, I know it's kind of rambled on, but that's kind of how I feel about the secondary. I think we're okay at safety, and if you know if if they feel to go ahead and say a guy like Bacaro, the 12th pick, I'm not going to be upset with that. Um, he seems to be the best uh, best safety prospect in this draft, and uh, if we picked him up, I wouldn't be disappointed. It's just I think cornerback is a higher priority position. It is a more valuable position, and um, and that's where I think that and wide receiver are the two weakest spots. I think I think you're right. I think uh, the thing that the thing that as you were talking through the secondary, the thing that got me is just that I'm not really sure Keith ever knows what he's talking about anymore. He just his draft analysis has just gone downhill since. Uh, since I guess this off season started, and uh, I'm just going to keep talking to see how long he'll let me keep bashing him before he says something. Since he's on I'll the air, talking. but he just doesn't know it. <laughs> Please, <laughs> Keith, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine. <laughs> I was just going to keep going and see what happened, but uh, <laughs> I figured Please. eventually no, no, no. you'd say Don't something. Don't hold Tell us how you tell us how you really feel. <laughs> So, what are your thoughts on uh, on the secondary? Since you heard Duke ramble on there, as he put it. Well, like he said, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, actually, and uh, for probably over a week now, we've we've both um, had the same thought, and that uh, Trufant is likely. Uh, I mean, he he's someone you really have to look at right now, and I think that. He, Right now, they have him as a, a high first round pick. I, I think once he goes to the combine, I think his draft stock could follow a similar path that his brother Marcus Trufant, uh, his path went. I think in 2003 because he came out, he went to Washington State, and he was. I mean, he was a at, at the time it was the Pac-10. I mean, he was an impressive corner, 
in that conference, and he came out and people thought that he was a turnout pick, and then he played well in the senior bowl, and then he went to the com, you know, and then uh, with all these pre-draft workouts, I mean, he skyrocketed all the way up to, I think it was number 11 overall, and I think that you're going to see a, a similar path for Trufant and that everything Duke just said there. I mean, he's, there's no real area uh, where he's uh, inadequate. I mean, his height is is average for a corner, five eleven, just under six feet. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, I keep bringing him up. Uh, he's about five nine, I think, and I don't think anyone had a problem with his height this year. So Trufant comes in and he's five eleven. Uh, he'll run; he could run in the low for four fours for all I know. Seems like he gets up to top speed really quick. And I mean, you just saw this year, and especially at the senior bowl, just how technically sound he is. I mean, and they threw every receiver they had at that guy. They threw speed receivers, uh, bigger body types, uh, guys who are real strong coming off the line of scrimmage. And Trufant didn't back down from any of them. I mean, he was right there. He was in their pocket. Uh, the bigger body guys were trying to get leverage on him coming off the coming off the line of scrimmage, and he was just on him like glue. Uh, he, when he's in off off coverage situations, he was able to. Just, I mean, he flipped his hips in a hurry. And he was just right in the guy's pocket. They threw Marcus Wheaton at him, who was uh, one of the two fastest guys down there for the Senior Bowl, and he stayed with him too. So I mean, he just he proved his ton. I mean, and it's it's tough being a corner in the Pac-12 because yeah, you have decent receiver talent out there. We have a couple of guys who are probably going to be drafted in the first few rounds this year who are receivers out of the Pac-12. But so it's kind of hard to to get an accurate gauge when you just watch a guy play in conference games. But I mean, he went out there and he took on the the best that the senior bowl had, and he he wrecked them all. So, I mean, he's he's going to be a, a big climber. And uh, I'm, I'm someone who likes to draw parallels when it comes to coaching staffs, former players they've had at a prior, uh, prior stop and whatnot. And I think that Coyle's going to look for the corners he had when he was in Cincinnati. And Trufant reminds me of a, a better, probably faster Leon Hall. And I think that's that's going to really get that, – that'll get him to number 12. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a reach if we take him at 12. I don't think anyone's going to look at that and say, eh, I don't know about the value. I think the value is absolutely there. I mean, it could be more value than we're bargaining for, actually. And now I'm rambling. I know there's a um, – and, uh, and one thing uh, – sorry to interrupt. No, go one on, thing that, um One thing that uh, will – with what Keith is talking about, it, it, it's important to note that when, when you watch these one-on-one drills – <laughs> at the combine or in practice, whatever, the offense always has the advantage. And the majority of the time, you're going to see a wide receiver look really good against the corner in these one-on-one drills at the senior bowl or whatever. Trufant dominated just about everyone. He rarely got beat in those. And that's impressive because, like I said, the advantage always goes to the offense in that. And when when you're good enough to shut a guy down like that uh, in a drill, that, that turns some heads. And I think more so than anything he did in the game was just the fact that when he went out there and played against guys, he was on them like glue at all times, even in drills where he was not supposed to be. And so I think that was impressive. And one thing that he did in the game on the very opening kickoff, that guy was headed for a touchdown, and it was Trufant who chased the guy down on, you know, the, I think it was Alford actually who ran was running it back, and Trufant chased him down and tackled him. So he uh, shows he has some, he had, you know, some guys were just giving up on that, but he didn't. He went out there and chased the guy down on, on special teams. So 
Uh, and, and one thing, what he's talking about in conference play, some stuff I've read about him this year is that a lot of teams, he didn't get a lot of big numbers, but a lot of teams avoided throwing in his direction. So usually when the quarterback would drop back, whatever side Trufant was on, he avoided, he threw it to someone else. And that's what I want to see. Uh, I want to see a guy who can go out there, walk down his side of the field, and and uh, make the quarterback go elsewhere. I would take any of the, the three corners that we've discussed. I mean, if Milner's there, I'm certainly not going to say no to him. Uh, Banks as well. I think Banks is going to run real well. I know he's a little banged up right now, and he was supposed to be down at the senior bowl, and he ended up uh, passing on it because I think he had a uh, a bum knee this year. But I just think that Trufant, in terms of what we're looking for, is will uh, represent insane value at 12. I mean, and like he, like Duke said a little while ago, our our corners, in terms of in in terms of overall rank, in terms of uh, just breaking down uh, individual numbers with their game. I mean, it's any which way you look at it, our corners are terrible. And you think about it, how many games did did we lose this year because of uh, our corner breaking down at at the worst time? Think about it. We lost the first Jets game because of that deep pass that Antonio Holmes hauled in in overtime because of blowing coverage. Uh, you, you can make the case that if we had better corner cannon, we we beat the Colts because of that one T.Y. Hilton touchdown in the end zone where uh, our, our secondary was standing around wondering what the hell had just happened. So, I mean, this is something where you bring in guys who can contribute immediately and can contribute at a high level, and you exponentially boost uh the effectiveness and overall potency of this defense. Silence. It was an amazing analysis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we hit silence and we have a break, I'll go ahead and welcome Dolphin Fan for Life onto the show. How are you tonight, Dolphin Fan for Life? I'm doing okay. What's on your mind? Uh, well, a few different scenarios. Um, actually, uh, it's pretty obvious Jennings to Miami is probably the most definite we've seen in a while. Um, but say, for instance, we get Woods in the second. I know we've been talking about corners or safeties in the first, but that would make our starting three um, Jennings, Woods, best. And there's a guy that's a free agent we've been talking about needing deep speed, and he won't break the bank. But what about bringing Ted Ginn back as a number four on a cheaper contract than his rookie one? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he still has a dolphin tat, so. He does? He, yes, I he don't does. know. Well, the, the thing is, I mean, you saw it. Uh, this coaching staff has has really gotten down on these guys. They they've deemed neophyte route runners. And at no point have I watched Ted Ginn play, you know, in San Francisco and thought, hmm, you know, he's really sharpened up his route running ability. You know, they're they're using him. Uh, how many times was he on the field as a, as a receiver during that game? I know I know he was out for one because uh, one of those throws to the end zone that was tipped that would have been a touchdown was to him. But, yeah, I don't know. 
I just I just feel like if we're if we're gonna go for the the fast stuff, we'd acquire it in the draft. We'd go after like a Wheaton guy, or maybe we get a little creative and we go after Marquise Goodwin in the third, who, who could provide pretty good value at that point uh, at this stage of the game. I don't know I, if it's not Mike Wallace, uh, then I think it's gonna be. I mean that's a tough call. I don't know. And I mean, you know, we we always talk about looking at. Green Bay is an example of how, you know, we want to build our receivers. And they don't really have a guy that is, you know, a, a super, super speed burner. Um, I just looked up Randall Cobb's 40 time, and then they've got it here at uh, 4.46, which is projected about what Robert Woods would run. So, you know, you bring it, say you bring in a guy like Robert Woods, you have him and Jennings, they're going to have enough deep speed to – make the safety honor that deep speed. I mean, yeah, he's not a 4-3 Mike Wallace type guy, but at the same time, the safety's going to have to be watching for that because he's got enough speed to burn you deep. So, you know, I think we're going to look for something like that. So I don't think if if we had a Jennings, um, <clears throat> Woods, and then maybe like a guy like, he said, like Goodwin or someone, who can, who can be that, you know, just a straight nine guy, then uh, I think we'll be set in terms of speed. I think I think we would be fine just adding a guy like Woods along with Jennings. I think that would give us more than enough speed at the wide receiver position. Um, you know, and I think having a guy that can bring the safety toss is going to help Bess a little bit. So we're going to see Bess a lot more open this year, um, working those underneath routes. So <clears throat> I, I think we'll be fine without having to add a guy like Gin. You know, you were talking about the, the route running. My problem is, and you and I discussed this about the, uh, you know, these guys, which, you know, Ireland said in his interview, he said on the interview with the, with the other Finsiders, and when they talked to him at the Senior Bowl, he said, we're looking for receivers that can catch. And when you think Ted Ginn, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. So they're looking for guys that are going to catch the ball, guys that can catch the ball, hands catchers, not body catchers, you know, I just don't see I just don't see Philbin keeping a guy like Ginn around when the first time he runs a crossing route or some kind of route and the alligator arms it, you know, I think he'll be gone after that. Well, to add on to something you just said, uh like I like I bring up all the time, I live uh in northern Illinois, which is Bears and Packers country. And I went out to went to dinner with one of my friends last week who's a big time Bears fan and just, I mean, completely unsolicited, he, he brought up the comment that one of the most frustrating things about playing Green Bay is that they just tear your secondary apart with a bunch of number two receivers. He was like, none of those guys would be, would be strong candidates for number ones on other teams. He's like, but they throw a group of number two receivers out there. He's like, and it's just, it's too much. <laughs> and there's something, that, that's almost like the genius of acquiring West Coast offense receivers is, uh, if they don't fit that particular mold, a lot of guys will degrade or will uh, downgrade them in terms of value because they're not these uh, these uh, prototypical downfield threats. These guys who have to take or are required to take three defensive backs with them every time they go ahead and and uh, uh, run a vertical route or go ahead with a uh, a nine route. So that's something to keep in mind here. And I, I mean, I I'm almost too guilty of looking at Green Bay and thinking like, well, who's our 
well, Don, I mean, Donald Driver's retired now, but who's our Donald Driver? You know, can we acquire a Randall Cobb type? Or, you know, is, it, is there ever going to be a guy who comes along who fits a Jordy Nelson role for us? And uh, I'd almost like to ask them, like, how how close is that to accurate when, when it comes to how they're going to grade receivers in this draft? I mean, do they look at guys and they're like, yeah, I don't know, they can, he can really serve as like a James Jones type. Or My question like I'd is, love to ask them. My question is, are they ever going to be able to get a Greg Jennings type? You're just full of jokes tonight, aren't you? <laughs> almost like, yeah, almost like baby. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. He, um, I, I've watched uh, the, the Finsider's interview with him yeah. uh, several times, and I mean, it's it's exciting to me just because I was so I was so pissed when that whole thing came out last spring about how no one wanted to play in Miami and blah blah blah. No one was giving the filled in uh the filled in regime a chance and all this other crap and Ireland scares off free agents and all this other uh all this other nonsense. So it's it's almost like a breath of fresh air to to get the the idea that these guys uh, indeed want to come down and play for you. Because, I mean yeah. they want to play for your coach. And I feel like we haven't had that in a while where people are like I want to play for that guy. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's a big step in the right direction. Hey, Dolphin fan for life, thank you for calling in tonight. I have a couple more. Okay, go on. Just real quick. Um, well, we also have the option of franchise tagging somebody. Do you see anybody on our roster as far as free agents that are deserving of that? Or could, we could possibly do like we did Paul Salai and – franchise tag for one year, see if maybe, you know, maybe they do a little bit better, like, say, for instance, franchise Heartline, and see if with a guy like Jennings and a guy like Bess and all that, if, I think, well, I think I've got an idea. I think the only guy, honestly, and it's probably the one guy most people are ready to let walk away or see walk away, I think the only guy that you probably could franchise tag and it would make some sense for is Jake. I think you could franchise Jake and say, hey, we'd like to work out a less money long-term deal with you, but we don't trust that you're going to be healthy. So we're going to give you this one-year deal. If you want to sign for less money, we will. But if you can't stay healthy, we let you walk away and we're done. Um, the only other guy that I would think of that you could probably do it with, and Keith, you probably have somebody else in mind, but uh, I could see them trying to do it with Sean Smith just because if you let him leave and we can't work out a deal, that makes an even bigger hole on the team. And it's almost a throw out the franchise tag simply so that you don't have another giant hole on the team. But, Keith, what were you going to say? Uh, I would say the the only real guy I'm looking at right now and, and seeing uh, – and seeing a spot that's worthy of the franchise tag would be Sparks. And the thing yeah. that really got that, got that going for me is, and I don't really put a lot of stock in uh, ESPN articles, but they had that thing that came out where Bill Pullen ranked all the free agents. I don't know if you saw that. I think it was last night. But he mentioned because he's got Starks on there, and he has Starks rated way high. And the reason he hasn't rated that high is because he said Starks represents a guy who can either play the three technique or he can he can serve as a two-gap type 
in a, in a 4-3 as well, which means I mean, you can kick him over to the 1 and still get results because he's that strong. So uh, for me, it makes sense that if you're going to franchise someone, it should be a guy who's going to command monstrous value out there and still really uh, serves a purpose for your defense. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, you could just kick Odrick inside, and I know that will eventually happen, but I kind of like the idea of having, if, if we're able to bring in even another pass rusher sometime or at some point to the draft, just having that kind of New York Giants uh, uh, deep defensive rotation on the, on the line where you you can kick you can kick Odrick inside you can get him out of there you can bring Vernon in at end you can bring the the traffic we bring in I know we've got I think Keyston Randall's in there too so if we're gonna if I'm gonna franchise anyone it's gonna be the guy who is gonna command monstrous value out on the market anyway yeah Starks so I mean it's something where if he has free agency he's not coming back in my opinion there are teams up there uh, Tampa Tampa is a very likely uh, scenario because they've just been murdered at at the spot across from uh, Gerald McCoy. I think if they get Starks in there, then they're cooking with gas. And I think that, you know that goes for a couple of other defenses too. So I mean, if you have yeah. a test free agency, then I mean that's it. It's kind of funny that I, one guy mentioned Son Smith and Randy Starks on the other one because, well, I, I I read like several different sites and like. I don't know why, but so many people are like, well, why don't we go get Sean Smith and everything else? I think he's going to be commanding a lot more than what he's worth. You know, we've seen him here in Miami, and he's like the tight gin of cornerbacks in my eyes. But yeah. uh, and the, the thing with the thing with, with Sean Smith, he's only going to fit so many schemes. Um, <clears throat> if you run a primarily zone scheme, you're going to be wasting your money. Yep. If you run, if he were to go to New York and play for Rex Ryan, where they do press coverage all the time, he's going to be better at that. Um, <clears throat> the thoughts that I had, I'm looking at the franchise numbers. You know, Starks makes sense. The projected um, cap, the projected franchise tax of that is eight million. He's probably going to get somewhere in a six to eight million dollar a year deal anyway, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I was going to go another route, <clears throat> and I would say Chris Clemens. Simply because you're only paying him six million. Uh, Fasano is five; will be five million. So these are guys that you could you could tag if you just wanted to go. You know, I'm not going to waste a bunch of money throwing ten million at Sean Smith or yeah. whatever else like that. So you could you could get the, the cheap route and just say, all right, I'm going to tag Chris Clemens. You know, pay you this deal. It's more than you've made. You're making a you're getting a big bonus, and it's not costing me a ton of cap space. So. I, I don't, that would be the route that I might go just to be on the, um, you know, they might be, and the reason you could kind of threaten them with the franchise tag is because you could throw it on them and it's not going to cost you a great deal of cap space. So, it, it, you know, you can, you can sit here and say, well, you know, if you don't sign the deal, I'm going to franchise you anyway. Whereas a guy like Jake Long or Sean Smith, they can hold out and say, you know what, I, you know, I don't have to sign your deal. I'm going to go into free agency and if you have a tag on me, it's going to cost you a lot of money. I don't see Heartline simply because it looks like the tag number is going to be pushing $10 million a year. It will. And I, yep. I can't justify paying, paying. I don't care how good of a season you had. I don't care how big of a fan you are of him. I, don't, I can't see justify <laughs> paying Brian Heartline $10 million a year in, 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 in any scenario. Well, the only way I can justify it is by telling him, hey, if we franchise tag you this year, prove it, and we'll sign you to a long, you know, a longer contract. That's feasible for both parties. 
the thousand yards was great, wonderful. Thank you for your time. But you know, one touchdown. Yeah. You know, and I mean, he made that comment earlier, or I read something about. You know, um, he said that. <coughs> You know, the, the Dolphins want him to take the hometown discount or whatever. He says, well, I, I feel like I've been playing for him at a discount. Uh, you know, so I'm ready to get paid now. I've been playing at a discount. It's time to get paid. And my response is six touchdowns. You had six career touchdowns uh, through the air or something like that, six or seven. You know, right. you know that's I mean, not worth it, paying, breaking the bank. It, it, it's a little justified because you have Brandon Marshall and then you have, you know, no one but him. So, I mean, a guy like Jennings who isn't going to command the ball like every time he puts his cleats on, you know, it, it, it's just an unknown factor. And I guess you can kind of say, hey, you know, okay, we'll give you this one franchise tag. We have the money right now. You play for one year. You're playing for a contract. If Because I'll be honest with you, if he leaves, I see him going to New England. I do not want Wes Welker 2.0. He's not Wes Welker 2.0, though. Well, Wes Welker wasn't 1.0 until he went to New England. I mean, yes, he was. He, he was. He he was. I mean, yeah, just because Nick Saban didn't know how to use him doesn't mean that it doesn't mean it wasn't there. I mean, that's why that's why the Patriots were willing to do the poison pill and were so adamant about going to get him. It's not like we just gave up on him and said nope, nobody wants him. Get rid of. It. Or we'll let him go. There was there was a lot of interest in him, and we wanted to keep him. That's why we put the uh, the um, restricted free agent offer on him. Unfortunately, we didn't put enough, not expecting the Patriots to go with the poison pill option. And, I mean, obviously they never did, and nobody actually used the poison pill, but they threatened it, and it was enough to eventually make us go, okay, we have to trade him. But, yeah, I, I think Wes Welker... People don't remember it because it was so long ago, and all we remember is that trade, and that drives us crazy because he's exploded into the 100-catch-a-year-every-single-year type guy. But he was the same receiver down here in Miami, or down there in Miami since I don't actually live in Miami. Um, But uh, it just – we didn't use him in that way. We didn't go with the throw it to him 150 times so he gets 112 catches. (laughs) So, but yeah, Wes Welker was Welker was what he is in New England down here. We just couldn't hold on to him without having to pay him like fifteen million because he'd play more than four games in the state of Florida. I mean, who was supposed to give him the ball, Cleo Lemon? Yeah, you know, it, it's not like we really had the talent down here to to exploit what Welker had going. So, I mean, that's something where I mean, I like Hartline. I think that I mean he certainly he brings something to the team. Uh, it's but there's a lot of things that are frustrating about him. His complete uh, lack of yard after catchability is incredibly frustrating. You know the fact that that guy hits the deck every time he touches the ball. But I mean getting back to Starks, I just think that like Duke said, uh, I think Starks is gonna is gonna get a huge deal if he hits free agency game. People need to keep in mind that he can play in the three four as well. He can. I mean. He proved he's proven uh, during his time in Miami that he's scheme diverse. I mean, What's and that's that's pretty much like porn to a lot of a lot of these guys out here who are looking for these. I mean, I mean, Dallas needs a five technique. Think about that. Dallas is projected to draft a five technique this year. 
screw that. They can, I mean, why not just throw a bunch of money at Randy Starks and, and get a guy who's proven that he can do it? When he went to the Pro Bowl in 10, wasn't it 2010 that he went to the Pro Bowl? I believe first, so, yeah. his first time. Was he a defensive end or was he a tackle for that one? Yeah, I can't I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if he went as an end or a tackle. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's because I think he was with Tennessee before us. And I think uh, it's kinda yeah. funny that Jeff Fisher Jeff Fisher couldn't find a way to use that guy. Yep. You know, because, I mean I mean we we got him for car fare. You know, I mean like you it's so funny that uh all of these these uh people who claim that are are we haven't been able to find these these key players, but I mean, Randy Starks has has been in, incredible for us, and I'd like to be able to just get a little bit more of that. So if we're going to use the franchise on someone, I'd like to use it on him because I think he's a big time presence, and I'm ready at, at whatever point to kick Odrick inside because I think Odrick's a, a an excellent defensive tackle too. I don't have any problem. I'd like to see them two, them two lined up in the middle, and I, I really think now is the time to trade Soli or Solier, or however you pronounce his name, because we can get value for him now. People are looking for a nose tackle. You have teams out there willing, and you know we want to keep it in the draft. We can trade him for draft picks next year. We have five this year in the first round. You know it. It just makes a lot more sense to use so guys. Do you think that would, that would uh, almost, almost put an immediate dent in our ability to stop the run? I think it would. Because, I, I mean, you have to keep Soli. I just I chuckled every time this year when people brought up Miami's ability early in the season to just I mean, when we were murdering the run. And I just laughed because it's because it's we have that guy in there. I think so, I, I mean, he would be if he were if he were on the market. And he had his contract running out this year. He's hands down the guy you franchise tag. You have to I keep agree. him. Well, we did franchise tag him once, right? But I, I, he he is not somebody we can let go. I I I just I feel like he has to be there because he takes on those double teams. He clogs up that middle, which frees up guys like uh, Kevin Burnett and uh, Koamisi and even. Everybody's favorite. Why do we make the big play anymore, Carlos Dansby, to uh, to do what they do and be able to stop the run? And I think that all comes down to Soli. And I think, to some degree, Randy Starks can be that guy, but Soli is better at it. And I think you absolutely have to keep Soli. And when you think about it, look at look at the, the lineup that we have of players that play defensive tackle on our team. We've got Starks, you've got Audrey that can play, you've got Soli, you can throw McDaniel out there. Somebody out there tell me, what scheme can't we play with those four guys? I mean, we can do anything. We can run a 3-4 front, four-man under, four-man over, 4-3. Four, anything you want to do, those guys can do it. You can bring Soli off and put Starks and Audrey on the inside for, for uh, pass rush. You know, there's so much versatility there. There is. So, I, I would love to see them because uh, Soli's contract runs out next year. Um, extend him, get him back on the team, sign Starks, and then you've got this three-man rotation of you get a three-man rotation of him, Audric, uh, Soli, Starks, Audric, 
um, you know, throwing a pass rusher we pick up. Um, when we trade up for Jadavion Clowney, you know, just anything you want to do in there. And, and you've got a defensive front that's just nasty that's going to be one of the best in the NFL. So, you know, I don't see – I don't see necessarily money being a reason to break that up, considering we're, we're so far over the cap. I mean, if this was, you know, we can't sign Starks because we, you know, we've got to resign Ryan Tannehill, and yeah, that's that's one thing. But um, we've got enough space. We need to keep these guys and keep keep the strength of our team right now as a strength, and not make it weaker. Yeah, I think that was, that was just put immediate dent. And one thing fans hopefully realize is. Guys like Starks and Soleil don't grow on trees. These these scheme diverse defensive linemen who are who are who make an impact regardless of whether you're lining them up as five techniques, zero techniques, three techniques, one techniques, wherever you're putting these guys on the defensive line, I mean, these guys make an impact. I mean, and there's I mean, they're a huge reason why we we were so good against the run this year. I mean, they make our they're certainly why our, our linebackers. Our linebackers looked a lot cleaner this year, in my opinion. And it's because, I mean, you got these guys doing work in the trenches. I mean, Soleil, so there are times where Soleil commands a triple team. Yep. You know, Soleil, guys like Soleil and Nata and all these guys are, are why uh, guys like Star, Latu Lile, Donovan Jenkins, and all these, these ginormous defensive tackles are going to get drafted so high this year because uh, to move that well at that at, at weight, at, you know, in the, the 350, 360 range, or, I mean, Lati is a little lighter. I think he's in the 30 range. But, I mean, that's that's big-time stuff. So that that's just I, I'm I'm partial to that. I think that if I need to franchise some guy, it's going to be Starks. Because, I mean, we played yeah. And, see, I don't think people realize just how athletic Soli is. I think a um, kind of a marquee play for him this year was in the Seattle game when they were driving down the field. They ran a screen pass to um, to uh, Beast Mode, whatever his name is. I can't think of it right now. Marshall. They threw a screen pass to him. Uh, yeah, Lynch. He he read it and chased him down in the backfield and broke the play up for a loss. So um, you know, and this isn't this isn't you know. A six-four, you know, two hundred and eighty pound dude. When this was six-four, three hundred and fifty pounds, chasing down a running back in the backfield and dropping him for a loss. So I mean, you know, it's uh, what is it? The Bill Parcells planet theory. There's only so many people on the planet that can do that. So ah, yeah. we've got one of them. No, Let's keep him. Even though I hate Bill Par- Bill Parcells, but yes, that is <laughs> that is the um, that's the underlying uh, theme behind uh, when when you're trying to acquire. Uh, the defensive lineman to play in a, a three-four scheme is three uh, uh, three-down lineman. That, that's his number one thing, and that's why he was, that's why he was drafting guys like Hodrick. I'm not saying it's right that he did that, especially when you consider some of the people we passed on uh, to trade down that far. But that, that's that's what was motivating him when he was going after guys like Philip Merling and all these other dudes is because he he was seeking out these guys who were you know between 280 and 300 pounds. Uh, and had a certain strength, a certain bulk, and a certain height to them because those are the guys who can play, you know, five technique in a, a three-four front. So I mean, these guys, and I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is, unless you're like a Bruce Smith or a J.J. Watt, a lot of times these five technique guys are almost like glorified blocking dummies because I mean they get in there and I mean you're you're right on the defensive tackle and 
when you're at that bulk, oftentimes you're gonna you're gonna see a little bit of a guard help as well, which is why it's so phenomenal to see like a JJ Watt come in there because I mean. Uh, you could put two guys on him. You saw it plenty of times in the playoffs and all year long. I mean, you put two guys on him, he just split them. I mean, five techniques aren't, aren't known for that. That's a very rare skill set for uh, a defensive lineman that big. Last but not least, yes, of say, course. We, say we get um, true front in the first. All right, uh, here, him at 12 is good value, especially with what he did at the Senior Bowl and whatnot. All right. With that, say we let Sean Smith go, would it be a viable option? Because we also lost Harris off the coaching staff. So we don't even have a veteran presence at, at that position. I mean, we have Coyle and whatnot, and he's a good coach. But as, as an option, what do you think about getting his older brother from Seattle? He's a free agent too. Won't, won't, you know, won't kill the bank. And I mean, there's just a lot that he can show. He's been a good cornerback for years. Has lost a little step, so he won't break the bank. But you know, what about him as an option? As like, say, a number two or even a slot corner, or even at safety. Well, I mean. There's, there's, there's a lot of veteran out there. Sorry, uh, Andrew, I was say, there's a lot of veteran guys out there that we could look at. Um, one guy that I have mentioned, even though he's not actually a free agent, but I believe it's possible he could get released, and that's uh, Chris Gamble. Um, he would be a good veteran presence. Um, and there's a couple of other guys out there. Um, I'm looking at a list of them right now. There's, there's a guy that just went by and I missed him. Where's he at? Um, Brent Grimes, um, he, he'll be 30. He's coming off with an Achilles injury, so he may be able to sign cheap. Um, there's going to be some guys out there that we can go after to be, to be the veteran guy that we wouldn't necessarily have to um, have to break the bank for. Um, I don't see Trufant's name on the list anywhere, but it may not be a complete list, so. But yeah, there's some guys out there that we can uh, that we could go after. That uh, if we if if we kind of had that plan that yeah we're going to go after a guy early in the draft at a corner a guy that's going to come in and start immediately um, or at least you know give give given the chance to start immediately then I think that we'll go I don't think that you can go into the season with your veteran corner being Richard Marshall or Demetri Patterson so. I think they will go after a guy. I just don't know who. But, yeah, the truth line idea, getting the brothers together, would not be a bad idea. Hey, Dolphin fan for life. Thanks for calling in tonight. No problem. You have a good night. You too. Anybody else wants to join the show, give us a call, 347-326-9461. It's 347-326-9461. Talk anything Dolphins you guys want to talk about. Um, one thing, Keith, while you while Dolphin Fan for Life was on, you brought up that uh, ranking of the free agents over on ESPN. They also now posted today a list of free agents that yeah, the buyer beware, stay away from ones. And yeah. they have on that list they have Sean Smith, Jake Long, and Reggie Bush. <laughs> That's telling, don't you think? <laughs> well. 
Well, the, the thing that the, he mentions about Sean Smith, and I, I saw that when I was at work today, and I, I sent Duke a, a text immediately because I, I couldn't stop laughing when I was reading this thing. But first they rolled out the – they said the same things about Smith that we've always been saying. I mean, he goes from looking like an elite caliber corner to kind of awful uh, uh, within consecutive plays. So – and the thing he's is – the he's got cornerbacks. Yeah, and <laughs> – the thing is, you've got this this press now because people watch Seattle this year with those ginormous corners they have, and it's, um, Sean Smith's going to get attention because of that. Because you know he's six three and a half. You know he's got that that crazy length of the position. I mean he's got decent speed, yep. not a burner or anything. But uh, right or wrong, uh, there's a buyer beware to that because you have to imagine some team out there is going to think like, well, I want. I want a Seattle type corner. I want one of those those ultra physical guys, which is funny because Smith's really not that physical. But I think that's well, that's what's really going to drive up his price is uh, that whole legion of boom out in Seattle is is gonna is kind of like Joe Flacco driving up the price of these taller quarterbacks. Now. You mean soon to be free agent wants twenty million dollars a year money. Uh, yeah, that's Joe Flacco. That's that's insane. And that's <laughs> funny. I also read the story about how uh, all these these quarterbacks agents, uh, like, you know, guys who represent Aaron Rodgers, and all these guys are are just watching this Flacco deal like hawks. Yeah. So they can try to get it in. I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't resign any of those guys. I mean, I like Reggie and everything, but I just feel like it, our money would be served elsewhere. And I really think that we're not going to try to resign Reggie. We might be trying to. To package a, a Jenny Wallace free agency package, it could be, and I think I, I still think I know a lot of people have said there's no way they do both, but I do think that there there is a way. I think, I think they're, they're going to try. I think they absolutely can work that. Well, I, mean, I think, I think Bush is as good as gone because I, I think it's already in the writings on the wall there. Because if you watch that Ireland interview. They asked him about who he thought um, would be the guy to, the, you know, one of the rookies that he thought did well and, you know, could, could see more reps and step out and break out next year. And the first guy, it was like he couldn't wait to say Lamar Miller. <laughs> so, I mean, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, Lamar Miller's the starting running back for the Dolphins next year. I mean, it's, you know, unless Reggie just takes some super-duper hometown discount, he's gone. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, Lamar Miller. Now, now you can you can later in the draft you can add a, a thumper in the fifth or sixth round, like a you know Alfred Morris. I think was a sixth round pick last year, so that'll be a popular thing cool for those bigger body guys. Or maybe we get we get a little bit uh, listless, or or maybe we even get a, just a little bit impatient in the fourth, and we just take like a Kenyon Barner or someone, which would be fine. You know, a guy who's a little bit bigger of a body. But I think that. I think the me- the message is clear here that our uh, our running backs are going to be playing on rookie contracts. From what it looks like, there's not going to be a lot of a lot of money spent in the backfield. The uh, Bahama Dolphin asked a question that uh, say say the Dolphins take Trufant at twelve. How would you feel if they came back and took Philip Thomas with the first pick of the second round? Only if they play the Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, Philip Michael Thomas. Philip Michael Thomas. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> that's that's the only way. But why would why would Philip Thomas be our, our second round pick? He's looked at as like a, a third round guy right now. That that brings up something interesting that I, I texted you today. But I want to go back. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of along the lines of what Muhammad Dolphin. Uh, his question is: is if we do load up at free agent or wide receiver during free agency, if we do go the Wallace Jennings route. I think we could see back-to-back corners drafted, uh, say a guy like Trufant or whoever, round one. The very next pick, a guy like Jordan Poyer, Amerson, somebody in the second round. I think we could go that that way as well. Um, and, you know, we've loaded up. We, we've kind of you know, changed one position through free agency, and now we're going to use the other through the draft. Okay. You know, it be crazy. Okay, guys, go, go on. Uh, if Xavier or Xavier Rhodes fell into the second round and we already had Trufant, so suppose <laughs> we're making that second round pick and, you know, a lot of people are going to be gearing up for, I mean, day two starts and people are going to be thinking a receiver. I mean, they're going to be salivating like Pavlov's dog waiting to hear those receiver names get called. But, I mean, if, if Rhodes is there, tell me you're not thinking about pulling the trigger on that one too. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that that's nasty. You want to talk about completely upgrading your secondary in one fell swoop. I, here, question for you on this one, then. Say say we do do the Jennings-Wallace uh, double signing. Rather than looking pass rusher or corner in the first round, what if they go after one of the tight ends? That's, to get, well, that's a valid thing, too, because essentially these guys are just bigger receivers at this point, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, neither, guy's a, neither guy's an ideal in-line tight end. None of these – neither of these guys, I should say, are Fasano types. Where, I mean, they're yeah. great blockers, excellent technicians at the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, what you're getting with an Ertz or Tyler Eifert is, I mean, these guys just shred the seam. I mean, they're, they're matchup nightmares. Uh, uh, they both can go up way high to get the ball. Uh, they're they're physical enough where I mean they can get out there and they can push uh, push defenders around. So yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean it, it's almost like you're not drafting a tight end. But I hope if we if we did that that we trade down to do it because I think yeah. the range where you're going to see those guys come off the board would be in the twenties. Twenties. I, I do. I think so. I think you're going to see. Quite a few pass rushers jump up. I, I mean, everyone was down on Ezekiel Anza, and then I mean he just tore the Senior Bowl bits when he started that game. So I mean, you, I mean a lot of people. It's so funny. He went from being like a mid first round pick to maybe a little higher, and then people are like, "Oh, screw this! This guy's a second round pick." Now he's top ten. So I mean that's just the that's just how fluid of a situation it is right now. But I think you're going to see a lot of guys move up. I think you're going to see. Uh, some of these linebackers, like your Minter and your Ogletree, maybe, I mean, Tails could have a good combine and get right back into it, regardless of how many imaginary friends he has. <laughs> so I think, I think you're going to see. See, oh, I, think, I think you have to, if you're in Miami, I'm going to cut you off for a second, Duke. I'll give it back to you in just a second. I think if you're in Miami, you have to really consider Teo, because his imaginary friends can fill the empty seats. Did you write oh. this stuff down before this, before this? I didn't. I didn't write any of it down. I wish you had. He's been waiting on that joke all night. You know. No, I just thought of it just then. 
No, he's lying. He absolutely he's had that one in his back I have pocket. not. I have not at all. I don't believe you. <laughs> I absolutely don't believe you. I, I, no, I 100%, 100% did. I thought of that right at that moment. When he said all of his imaginary friends, it it made me think of it. But yeah, dude, I, go his, on. His, his imaginary country or whatever that he <laughs> put into those uh, – those seats, and another before Duke uh, gets going, another thing you're going to see, you're already seeing the offensive tackle start to rise. I think you're going to see the guards come up, uh, and you, I mean it's it's going to fatten up in the first round. So I think that unless one of the well, unless like Eifert or Ertz goes in there and runs like a four or five, you know, or God, I mean who knows maybe even higher, and they go in there and really push it, then I, I mean you could see them go a little bit higher. Otherwise, teams like Green Bay and Chicago, uh, a couple of other franchises in the 20s, I think, are really going to be looking in those kind of directions. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about people uh, rising up draft boards at the uh, Senior Bowl. One guy that we've mentioned on the show uh, previously, I read today about him, and that's that, uh, John, I think it's Jonathan Cyprian. Yep. And what I read today said that some scouts are putting a higher grade on him than guys like Matt Elam. And Elam, to a lot of people, is considered a late first-round pick. So it's possible that this Cyprian dude went from a guy nobody's ever heard of to a first-round pick. I know. It's got a Disney movie or something. Joe Flacco? Oh, no. sorry. I just We're back on Disney. Oh. Terrible. Unbelievable. I'll go back to the Teo uh, empty seats joke. Uh, <laughs> Good. Please, yes, get that one out there in case anyone just, just started tuning in. But in case you guys are wondering, um, at the half, TCU is beating Kansas 22-13. to 13. Kansas didn't score their first basket until seven minutes to go in the first half. I don't know what's going on with number five Kansas, but apparently they cannot beat TCU. So anyway, and uh, it's 0-0 Mexico-Jamaica – World Cup qualifier. Moving on. <laughs> you can feel that I have relief. Yes, I'm just trying to keep it going. Right the U.S. The U.S. <clears throat> fell to Honduras today in Honduras, which uh, hurts a lot in trying to qualify for the World Cup. Luckily, it's in Honduras. It's not a U.S. game. So when we get to well, U.S. soil, we should be better. One thing that we've, we've alluded to tonight several times, we might as well just – are you trying to bring it back to football? Yeah, I am. I know how how selfish of me, <laughs> how misguided of me to have the gall to, or the gumption to pull something like this off. But we, we've talked about the, the Ireland interview on, on the Finsiders. I mean, we've had a post about it and everything, so we might as well just uh, discuss this now. Were, were you not maybe just a little bit impressed with with that interview? Oh, I loved that interview. I thought that was – I think what made it great is not what um, what Ireland was saying, but how he was saying it. He had personality behind it. It was like he opened himself up and let himself have some fun, which then makes what he's saying come across much better. So I, I think I think it was a great interview in that in that sense. And then what he said, it was I mean, it, it was it was. It was a great interview. I'll go with that. Another thing I uh, gathered from listening to interviews, 
when it comes to and I've talked to Duke about this too. When it comes to drafting receivers, I feel like it's Philbin and Sherman's show. Yes. When he was talking about it, I mean, all he did was outline everything we already know. You're, you're looking for for guys who have hands and can create separation. Well, n- no kidding. I mean, you just defined every every receiver to ever play in the West Coast offense. So I think that. I mean that that's kind of telling, but that's a great thing too. That's another reason to to feel excited about Philbin as as head coach. I mean, because I'd like to think that he does know how to find those players. I mean, and, he had front row seats for when Ted Thompson was going after those guys, and I think a big reason why Green Bay doesn't take first round receivers anymore uh, is due to the whole Javon Walker mess a couple of years ago. It's almost like yeah. Ted Thompson told himself when that whole thing was going. I don't know if you remember that, but it was it was like a year-long debacle of I'm right. not playing for you, I'm retiring, I'm not doing this until you go ahead and give me a new deal. Pretty much like what Darrell Grievous was doing every year. The Grievous was better and, and at, at more in-demand position. But it's almost like yeah, Ted but, Thompson told himself at that point that he was never going to put himself through that again with a first-round receiver. Grievous decided so, to take half a year off this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, that I, I think that that goes to I. Get, I'm trying to remember when. I don't remember when we talked about it, but it was either on this or on the uh, Friday night video show that. Uh, oh, the one we had last week. Yeah, the one we had last <laughs> week. Um, shut up. <laughs> um, Speaking no, of imaginary the, things. <laughs> that's the way I roll. Okay. Um, no, I think, uh, I I think it goes back to the idea that Ireland can scout defense really well and offense may be a little bit weaker for him. So being able to turn to Philbin and to Sherman and say, okay, what do you guys want? You guys call the shots. We'll give you all the scouting reports on them. What do you guys need? I think is a great, it's a great philosophy and, it can, it very much so can go back to if if you want to look at it, and I'm just thinking of this as I'm talking right now, but uh, it can go back to why don't the Dolphins have playmakers already? And that argument, because if Philbin, uh, I'm sorry, if Ireland realizes I'm better at defense, I'm going to rely on my coach to help me out with offense, and his previous coach was Sperano. Doesn't that kind of give you an answer on why there aren't a lot of offensive playmakers? I mean, well, there it is. <laughs> guys, with, guys with great motors, though. I mean, that's, that's and Martin Colombo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but this is this is important, though, and this shows that not only is it an inclusive process, but it should be an inclusive process. It and is. People yeah. should, I mean, people should, and from what it sounds like, Ireland's absolutely about getting. Philbin and Sherman involved. If any, if that guy was the bastard that people perceive him to be, he would say, "Screw you!" You know, uh, you might as well let me go shopping if you expect me to cook it or whatever in the hell that Parcells quote is. Might as well let me shop for the groceries, and then you'd get you'd get that. You'd get maybe a receiver in the third round. Maybe he just goes and gets Patrick Turner again, and he says, "This should be good enough for Ryan Tannehill." So I mean, I I feel like the fact that that he is so inclusive is something that is is going unnoticed by many and just ignored by uh, the other half. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people realize just how much the coaches played in this part. 
and we've talked about <clears throat> we've talked about the um, Vontae Davis trade, and we saw that on Hard Knocks. Jeff Allen said, "Look, they have called me with this trade. Do you want Vontae Davis or not?" And I and Philbin said, "No, make the trade." It was Philbin's call. Who gets crap for it? Ireland. But Philbin said, "I don't want that guy on my team." You work out a trade, go with the trade. I think you can look back at Sperano and kind of say, you know, Ireland was like, what kind of players do you want? And Sperano was like, uh, bad ones. And so Ireland went out and got bad ones. And so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, he even said, like, the, the title of that, um, you know, the title of the article said, he went against his he went against his usual, um, you know, paradigm for drafting a quarterback. When he drafted Tannehill, you know, that shows, hey, these guys said, Tannehill's a guy I want. I've I studied, you know, Ireland said he studied the guy. These guys wanted him. That's what he did. Or he could have, you know, stuck it out and went for a guy like Kirk Cousins who had a bunch more starts and everything else. So I think people need to give Ireland a little credit in the fact that he is listening to his coaches. He's working with Philbin. He said that in that interview that they've already started their pre-combine scouting process the coaches were in there. They're doing this all day. Philbin's in there, you know, saying, this is what I'm looking for. Let's look at these guys. And they're showing you watching film with this receiver. Philbin's like, you know, well, that guy doesn't run routes like I want him to run routes. I don't think he's a guy I want on the team. I don't think Allen's in there and said, well, I don't know. I think he's a good player, and I'm I'm a GM, so, you know, just listen to me and you shut up. I think they're Bill building Bell's. their draft board Bell together. Bell's. And I think that's – I'm sorry? No Barcells. Yeah, so you know, I think I think clearing you know, my Philbin, Philbin, Ireland, and these guys—they're building their, and I think Coyle and Sherman are in there together. So, you know, I think that they're building this draft board together. So, if Dolphins fans don't like who we draft, I don't think Ireland is solely to blame. It'll be because, you know, the coaches pick those players or help pick those players or or. Signed off on them, so to speak. So, I mean, let's say we don't go after a guy everybody wants, and we pick somebody else. I'm like, who is that guy? Well, you can pretty much bet that Philbin and Sherman and whoever signed off saying that's a guy, that's the kind of guy I want on this team. One thing, uh, one thing I will say about the draft preparation is I read a, I guess it was a statement, it was a tweet, it was it was something, but the team was very happy when the Jets finally hired their GM because they had started the Dolphins had started doing their draft prep without Brian Gain and they had left him completely out of it completely out of the dark or completely in the dark for what they were doing this offseason simply because they knew the Jets were going to interview him so I, I think that tells you that the team it doesn't the, the Ireland and everybody they don't feel like they're preparing correctly if they don't have the full team there and so once Gain was able to, or was off the table going to the Jets, they felt better and they could start really working on it. Um, quick question coming up from Bahama Dolphin, but I first want to say that he needs to step off of my role on this show. Okay, Jason Scott set up the perfect question. I had the answer, and Bahama Dolphin posted it first. He mentioned guys that can catch the ball for wide receivers. What do you call a wide receiver that doesn't catch the ball? Drive killer? And my immediate answer was going to be, no, you call him Brandon Marshall. And Dolphin fan, Bahamut Dolphin fan beat me to it. Very disappointed with that. 
Because you're too busy writing your your tail jokes. No, no. (laughs) God, Brandon Marshall. That's an easy one set up beautifully. Okay, Bahama Dolphin asks, um, how big a drop-off is there? And I know, Duke, you you talked about it briefly in the thread, but uh, how big a drop-off is it after Vaccaro to everybody else? Is this oh okay, well, I'll just start. Okay. Uh it's there's a drop, but it's not drastic. Uh the thing you're getting with Vicaro is a player who's the total package, uh is probably gonna run real well, uh can take on the run, has n- near elite skills as, as a playmaker and ball hawk. So I mean you're getting you're getting all of that and then uh the next step down you're gonna see these guys like a like an Elam, uh I think Eric Reed if Eric Reed runs really well at the combine, I think he's gonna work his way up. And then you're gonna get these safeties who are, you know, big time players. But I mean the thing is they, they don't have that that uh, complete uh near elite skill set that Vicaro has. So I mean there's there's certain things that are are going to be missing uh, once you get past the the first guy on the board, but it's not to the point where I mean Vicaro's great and everyone else sucks or anything, or Vicaro's great and everyone else uh, isn't worthy of a first round grade. I don't think that's the case. Duke, you got anything? No, that about covers it. Okay, um, I will say as we have another lull in the conversation that if you guys want to give us a call. Three four seven three two six nine four six one. Calls. We'll put you on the air. Involved in conversation. Um, I did. Um, no, I want to say, guys, go over to bigcatcountry.com, which is the Jaguars uh, thread. After the show, head over there, and uh, Ohio just tweeted me. When does the show start? which means he's probably trying to listen on the site. And since, once again, the site, for some reason, is only linking to last week's or two weeks ago show now, I think he's missing out on the show. But um, I'll tweet him back in just a second. Anyway, go over to Big Cat Country. Check out their Facebook Reacts to the New Logo thread. Um, I found it absolutely hysterical because what Alfie over there did was Go on Facebook and find the comments people were making about their new um, their new logo, and then he responded to them. And the ones that I found the funniest were like um, – where is it? Here. Uh, okay, my question is, instead of progress for the team and to fix things in the field, they worry about – they worry more about a new image, which kind of sounds like a familiar argument for – Something else going on with the Dolphins. but And then Alfie writes, I know, right? You think they wouldn't tie up David Caldwell and Gus Bradley's time with drawing up a logo like that. They should probably hire another set of people who have nothing to do with football operations to worry about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's the exact argument that people love to throw at us or throw up for the Dolphins that they need to worry about players on the field and not worrying about changing the uh, logo and get a winning team and stop wasting time on this. <laughs> it goes back to, guys, it's not the same people doing it. No, you no, can... it is. That's why That's why we hired Sheldon <laughs> for his graphic design skills. <laughs> he, 
when they brought him in for the interview, they just went, hey, can you draw me something? Okay, yeah, you wouldn't good. believe the the freehand <laughs> dolphin that he can draw. <laughs> Absolute art. And that's why that guy runs our runs our team and has a say in the receivers we're gonna draft this year. <laughs> that tail is like a perfect it's like a a perfect loop. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just find that the funniest thing that uh, it's like saying a company can only do one thing that if you if you are a computer company you can only build computers you cannot do software also it's like guys <clears throat> different sets of people but it makes me feel better that the uh the Facebook or the uh Big Cat Country has the exact argument that we've seen several times or that we have to stop Jake. Say again? Or we have to stop Jake Long from destroying our tackles and getting the mark. <laughs> Look, that one will never be beat. Ever. If, you, if you lined up Jake Long and his brother Chris Long on the same defense, you wouldn't you you couldn't win. Nobody would be able to win against that defense. I love it though because he was big. Our, the right side of our line can't handle him. Swan's <laughs> gonna destroy our tackles. Brickshaw Ferguson can't hold him. And then, and then what, the, the kicker on all of it was like, "Please, somebody respond and tell me what I did wrong." <laughs> <laughs> Look, was it over when the Japan or when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it almost brought us together with with Jets fans for a moment, because at first they thought the guy was planted by us. Yeah. And, and then remember the, the same person who who made that claim uh, posted, or he commented, "Never mind, I just went over there and he's saying the same thing to them. They must be so confused right now." <laughs> um, whatever. It's so god. Oh, that that is one of the greatest posts ever made. Just flat need out. Need to link it again. But I mean, I love I love the gift show after that. That one that we we saw that was <laughs> the, the fat guy who came out of the water slide and went like shooting across to like the other lane <laughs> sideways. I think. Spider-Man up off the wall and. Yeah, the, the kid dresses Spider-Man who, who tries to do a kickflip off the wall and he lands on his head. The greatness of a radio show where we're talking about things the listeners haven't seen. Well, I mean, that's why we need to link it so they can't see it. I mean, they deserve it. I'll go back and find it. Let me see. Um, I thought I bookmarked it. Well, while you're saying that... Uh, yeah, go ahead. As, as something to do... I don't think we're gonna we're going to uh, dismount the uh, Desmond Trufant bandwagon anytime soon. I mean, we're both pretty pretty sold on this guy, and it's funny because we're I mean we're not even to the combine yet. And, I mean, but it's nice because currently he's projected as a as a, you know like a top twenty five pick. A lot of people think he's going to go to Denver. And I think it's important to note that if he goes and he runs really well and he boosts his stock and everything, now he's in our backyard. Now suddenly we can use the number 12 pick on him and be done with it. 
And we have that option too, because I mean, we will have Milner, we'll have Banks there. Uh, guys no, like Rhodes could could move up as well. No, I'm entirely sure how I would react if the Dolphins actually drafted someone that I I wanted them to draft. <clears throat> Not saying that I didn't want them to draft Tannehill, but that was kind of one of those well, you know, that had to happen. So it was more expecting this one. This this draft is one where. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that we can go. There's so many different ways that we can go and not screw up. And so if they actually, if if Goodell goes to the podium and says, with the 12th pick, Miami Dolphins select Desmond Trufant, I don't know how I will react. And seeing as we will probably be having a draft night podcast, um, <laughs> I don't know, I, I may have to, uh, I don't know, hit, hit the mute button or something. Or get I, on. We should start a Google Hangout or whatever it is we're doing. That's kind of like uh, when um, Fooch posted a uh, video right after the NFC Championship game where he was trying to give a reaction to the 49ers going to the Super Bowl, but he was so emotionally invested into it that he basically had tears in his eyes and kept getting choked up every time he tried to talk. And it probably made it for a better video. But I sat there watching that going, ha ha, I need to pick on him. And then I just realized that if the Dolphins ever made it to the Super Bowl, I probably would just be bawling on the floor. I just, I wouldn't know what to do. I have no idea what that feeling would be. I mean, what do you do in that case? What do you do if the Dolphins ever made it? How would you feel? I don't uh-huh. think anybody can actually answer that unless they remember the 84 season or something or 80. Yeah. 84 season. Uh, he had to feel like crap on one day. Though. I'm sure I, he did. Yeah. I'm sure he, <laughs> he felt like he had just been Rochambeau. Uh, something else that I do, you weren't, you weren't in for, uh, taking Tannehill. Do what? You weren't, you weren't a Tannehill guy last spring. Um, well, I, 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 you know, I'm not ashamed to admit I was on the set for, like, bandwagon uh, when we were 0-7, and I was one of those, like, look, you know, the season's gone, let's just go ahead and lose them all, and get luck and be done with it. But then once that didn't happen, I, you know, I, I was like, all right, we can't do anything. Once I started reading, um, started, once I started kind of my own personal little draft process, I, um, uh, I became a Tannehill fan. I, I wasn't this, I, at first. I was not a, a fan of him, but I started reading stuff. The only game I, I watched of him was the bowl game he played in. He made this one throw down the sideline. It was just a beautiful throw. And I remember thinking to myself, "Hey, that looks like you know, I got a good arm. He might be in play for the Dolphins." You know, so um, <clears throat> you know, once the draft process got started, I was kind of, I was kind of iffy on him. And the more I read and, and, and things like that, I, I was, I was. I, I was down with it, but it took a little while. I wasn't like immediately like, yeah, let's go get that guy. But um, you know, you know, about a month and a half before the draft, I, I was cool with it. But. I think I first got serious about drafting that guy sometime around like November, or December, and then I was kind of like, you know, would we really use a high first round pick on him? Would we trade back? Uh, and then I started almost. Duke just I don't I even know what Evan's looking at right now. Uh, and then uh, are you on? I was are almost, you on site? Keith, I'm a, I'm not. Okay, well, I just posted something in the uh, live thread for you. Is it the uh, thing? 
<laughs> water slide. Yeah, that that guy comes shooting yeah. out of the tube. <laughs> he comes out sideways on the rail. Yeah, but he's so relaxed when he's doing that. <laughs> he thinks he's like going down there. He's like, oh, wait a second. I love that. that. But one thing I was worried about with Tannehill was, uh, and I was watching some of those videos last night, and some of them I was sending to you, but there was a real a real threat right around March and early April that um, Tannehill would, uh, could have gone at number four overall to Cleveland. Yep. So I think once they traded up and did their for Trent Richardson, I felt better about it. But I almost didn't want to get my hopes up too much, which is why I was kind of hesitant to completely uh, go all in for him until I think right around like the middle of April when I was like, I think we're going to take this guy. So I don't know. It's easier this year, I feel like, because I think that a lot of the guys we want at receiver, we're not, I mean, I don't think we're going to take in the first round. And the guys we want at corner, we should have a, a pretty decent selection at number 12. I mean, you hope, which is why uh, we need to start hoping that some of these these quarterbacks and everything start rising up and some of them get into the top ten because all that does is push the players we want higher up. You guys are watching that gift still, aren't you? <laughs> it is one of the best things ever. I just love how he comes shooting out of it, like his hands behind his head, like he thinks he's still on the slide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you pull that off, though. <laughs> oh, but, uh, I don't know. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see what comes out of the combine. I think uh, I I don't know if there's going to be a lot of surprises this year. I think some of the receivers will will run faster than we think. I think uh, what, what would be really weird is if like Keenan Allen went down there and did a sort of Michael Floyd thing, where everyone thinks he's going to run like a a mid four five, maybe even like a four six, and then he runs like a a, a nice uh, mid four four, right in that range. Or like when Julio Jones went down there, and people thought he was like, oh, you know, he's probably like a high four four guy, and then he ran in the four threes. So I mean that kind of stuff. I mean not that that's going to really sway my opinion on anyone. I mean the guys I want who are fast. I don't really care what their time is. I know they're fast. Please stop watching that, guess. <laughs> it's not making for a good show? Well, sure. <laughs> no, Ohio Fin Fan is uh, in the uh, live thread now. So I, I'm assuming I don't have to tweet him to I don't have to tweet oh, him. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man. That's, That's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I was getting the Spider-Man one. I love his reaction where it's like, oh, oh man, that's hard to that's, watch. That's what I meant to do. <laughs> that's what I got that, that sort of like superhero blink <laughs> in his step and then he just drops right on his head. <laughs> God, that's horrible. I love Spider Man. He's probably my favorite uh, superhero, so that's tough to watch. <laughs> just remember, that's not the real Spider Man. I would hope not. The real Spider-Man probably died in one of the actors on the Broadway show. <laughs> you mean that wasn't around success? <laughs> and they had two doing the music and everything. That just didn't really work out, did it? 
thing that I find most interesting right now about speaking of uh, adaptations or uh, things like that is that J.J. Abrams, who is directing the Star Trek movies, is now also the director for the Star Wars movies. I'm not sure that's allowed. I mean, doesn't that, yeah. like, when somebody's, you can't be a fan of both thing? That's like crossing yeah. the streams. Yeah, you don't, you never cross the streams. Yeah, like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> but, and apparently they just announced today, speaking of Star Wars, that, or maybe it was yesterday, that they are also going to do standalone movies that are not part of the upcoming trilogy. Like the Boba Fett. Yeah, they're going to start off with Yoda. So there will be yeah, a, you know, a Yoda it, movie. I, I'll wa- I mean, I'll I'll watch anything Star Wars. I love Star Wars. Uh, I, I make no pretensions about that, but I I love to watch the Han Solo Boba Fett movie. Yeah, I guess it's I guess it's kind of like to to put it into a frame of what we've seen recently. I guess it would be kind of like the. Uh, X-Men origin movies that they did with uh, Wolverine. Right. I guess that's what it is. So that movie was kind of terrible. Yes, but... I, it, I think that's what it's supposed to be, is something like that. I was a fan of Wolverine. I like the girl in that movie, though. Big fan of, that, of her. <laughs> so. I think the life threat has died. I think everybody's watching the GIFs. I think everybody is watching the GIFs. Yeah, the thing, to answer Muhammad Dolphin's question, uh, Obushi probably slipped a little bit after the Senior Bowl, so that's definitely something to to keep in mind. I can't believe posted that one with the diving board. Um, There's there's also some some quality tackles we could look at in free agency. I mean, I don't know. It depends on how much we want to spend. And if we're going after the two receivers we were talking about earlier, uh, that's not the most practical solution. So. <laughs> it's just keep talking now. That's the whole show. Go. I know. Well, because you guys are busy watching that fat guy throw that girl in the pool. Girl onto his head. Yeah. <laughs> Does a, just does half gainer right off of his, off of his okay. head. Okay, I'll take you to uh, I'll take you to uh, the the funniest story that I've heard so far out of uh, um, National Signing Day, which by the way I do find as the most ridiculous thing in sports. It's National Letter of Intent Signing Day. Oh, don't because, tell my friend that he's a Notre Dame fan. Uh, Christmas comes number two to not National <laughs> Signing Day for that guy. <laughs> We, I'm not kidding. It's really weird because I mean I I love college football as much as anyone. I mean I I think I've made that clear, but uh, it's just it's another thing where it's almost like football porn for these people. I just I look at it and I'm like these are 17 and 18 year old kids that we are shining a camera or shining lights, filming them, literally putting on a hat, and then we're not going to hear from them probably for two years. What's the point of it other than making these kids feel like they're something more special than they really are? Yeah, like that kid who said he was considering USC or Oregon and he didn't have any offers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I find that far more interesting than 
Saturday. I did find it interesting that Ole Miss is the school that really cleaned up today. I, I've heard Ole Miss, I've heard Alabama, and I've heard Florida all as the number one school. And I'm like, um, okay, well, which one is really number one? I think it's but, probably I, well. Uh, um, Ole Miss got uh, Indem Kiche, who's yep. uh, that dude who for the longest time was supposed to go to Clemson, and people just knew he wasn't going to go to Clemson. I'm surprised he didn't go to Alabama because I know Alabama was trying to get him. So I know, and I think Alabama got like the number one and the number four, or number one and number five players. Clemson got the number four guy. Uh, I'm thoroughly tired of Alabama. I'm just hoping they don't win it next year. I think the funniest story that I got, and I, I unfortunately I don't know who the kid was. I didn't hear the name, but he apparently he originally had planned to go to Alabama, and then he decommitted from Alabama, and this year started going to Auburn High School. So since he, I guess I'm assuming is 18 and can get a tattoo, he went and had the. Auburn University logo tattooed on the inside of his left arm once he committed to Auburn. He then decommitted to Auburn and is now going to Alabama. So on the inside of his forearm is the Auburn logo as he goes to Alabama. Yeah, I saw that he was um I think he was one of the highest ranked linebackers this year, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, at, first, right, yeah. at first when he said you don't know the person, I was thinking it was Marino's love child. No, it's not Marino's love child, and it's not Teo's girlfriend. Marino's love child runs a, a 4-2. <laughs> throws, the ball, throws the ball 80 yards from his knees. Yeah, it's like that commercial where Drew Brees' idiot kid is kicking the ball. <laughs> I guess he'll be a kicker. Yeah. <laughs> we know he's not going to be tall. So. <laughs> so is that McGillicuddy's in that little bottle there with the bottom out guy who's got the wolf shirt on? Are you watching the gifts now? No, no, no. It's whatever Ohio fan for life just posted. And it's some dude oh. who – I don't think that's him, is it? If it is, I apologize. Uh, whenever people are sprawled out on the ground near – uh. A uh, uh, parking uh, parking gate. I get I get nervous, but he's got like a it's like mini merino, and then it looks like a bottle of Cuddies or something, or maybe it's apple juice. I don't know. I'm trying to zoom in. <laughs> now I want to know. That or Pennzoil or something. I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's absolutely a lot. I think Martin's pretty good at left tackle this year. I'm reading your conversation about uh, right tackle, and uh, I I know I'm a minority here, but I like I like Martin when he was at Stanford. He's not he's not like a proto uh, just a proto left tackle. Some guy who comes in and just do, does everything amazingly well and goes to the Pro Bowl every year. He's not that guy, but I think he's someone who is already technically sound, and as he gets stronger, will be a really good player for us. Probably not going to go to the Pro Bowl, you know, but, I mean, who cares? As long as he's able to keep uh, keep guys off the quarterback, you know, and hopefully he becomes a little bit more of a, uh, a run blocker, 
coming up here. But, I mean, I like him. I have no problem with Jonathan Martin moving forward. I'd like him. He, he does need to get stronger in his base, though. Because that's the one thing he, he did struggle with this year uh, was uh, anchoring against the bull rush. That was definitely a problem. I can't focus. I know this. Was it was it Bahama Dolphin? Yeah, telling me to focus. I can't focus. You're upsetting him. I'm not even my, in that anymore because it's so ridiculous. My, my ADD is taking me off into another direction. But uh, <laughs> speaking of which, to actually talk um, some Dolphin stuff, uh, I guess they've said that seven teams are now vying for Super Bowl L2, so 52. Um, and one of them is the Dolphins, but it also includes the 49ers and the Texans. So it's probably one of those three teams will host both, or two of those teams will host 50 and 51. So I'm guessing 52 is not an option, really, for either of those three teams. But it looks like um, New Orleans, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Miami, Minneapolis, and San Francisco are all getting ready to put in bids for Super Bowl 52. Ah, can you imagine Denver? <laughs> well, if it works in New York this year. I hope it doesn't. I think that's a, as somebody who's very much a warm weather person, I think that's a terrible idea. What about Minneapolis? I mean, granted it's in a dome, but all of Super Bowl week is going to be miserable. Well, it seems like people had fun in Indianapolis, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they got high marks, and I mean, Indianapolis, I mean, the weather there is like it is here. It's terrible. But I, I'm just talking about the, the overall game experience. I mean, yeah. It, it seems upsetting that these 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 players, I mean, usually you see them playing the big game, and they go out there. I mean, they, they're usually not wearing sleeves or anything, and now they're going to go out there. I mean, if it's if it's cold in New York, and one would assume in early February it's going to be it's going to be cold. It, it could be like it was in Denver. Uh, during that playoff game when it was, what, like 8 degrees out? Yep. So, I don't know. I'm not the, a big – I mean, I understand they want to broaden their horizons and give exposure and opportunities to venues outside the typical warm weather. Okay, but what the hell? The coldest um, Super Bowl ever was 39 degrees in New Orleans for the Dolphins. Yeah. And it was at uh, – The old site. Um, for some reason, I can't think of the name. But I don't know why I'm blanking on it. Uh, Super Bowl. That would have been Super Bowl. Seven? I'm, I'm just gonna oh. let you roll with this one. You just you figure this out. Eight. <laughs> if it's Super Bowl eight, that one was at Rice. Uh, no, that eight. one was at Rice. That was at, that was in Houston. Yes, so it has to be seven. No, that was seven was, uh, seven was in so uh, had, in Pasadena. It had to be six then, right? Yes. Was the one in That's New the Orleans. one that got their ass kicked by the Cowboys. Right. Yeah. I was going to so, say, I'm just going to let you work backwards on this one, Kevin. You'll get there eventually. Tulane. <clears throat> Tulane Stadium. For some Wasn't reason, gonna, I can't... I, I well, kept coming up to Toledo, and I'm like, why Why am I on Toledo? Because Ohio's in the damn thread. But, it was, yeah, Tulane <laughs> Stadium. It was 39 yeah. degrees in that game, and that's the coldest one ever. 
So I'm pretty sure come February of next year we'll break that record. Yeah, that that one's likely going down unless global warming really pipes up uh, that week. So. I'm glad you figured that one out though. That, I didn't want to be in, I didn't want to be a know it all and just let, that would start that would, I don't know that would, uh, why, start shouting stuff at you. I don't know why that Tulane. I don't know why it was not coming in my head. Well, because you don't – I mean, how many people will sit here and think about the Tulane Green Wave? Yeah. You know, not often. I certainly don't. I don't think about J.P. Lozman much. So. Yes, you do. I don't. I, I, I did love it when they were they were saying he looked like Opera Man. <laughs> that did delight me. <laughs> but what, did you, what were you going to say, Duke? I was talking about players from Tulane. I said Matt Forte. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the only Matt Forte. So interesting that uh where this conversation has gone. But uh <laughs> I think uh I think I'm gonna go ahead and say that'll be the end of our show for the night, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about since we've completely gone off topic of dolphin stuff now. Well, somewhat not so much, but I'd like to go stare at those gifts for an hour or so, so if you don't mind. <laughs> By the way, apparently on NFL Network right now is the sound effects edition of the Super Bowl. So, I thought uh, Fooch is watching that game. Say again? I thought your buddy Fooch is watching that game. No, probably not. But Jeff Darlington is tweeting about it. Uh, no, I really underestimated how that guy's uh, absence was going to really lift up people like Omar <laughs> and other guys so we can read about how he's making pudding and getting ready to watch Think Like a Man while he rubs his wife's feet. <laughs> no quarterback talk before 10.19 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, bitches. <laughs> Slap the hand. No quarterback talk today. I think I think we're at the point where we can't complete a podcast without you being Omar. I can't help it. It's it's so funny. It's easier to write than it is to say. Yeah. Because I mean, you've seen it. You have to put it in all caps. Slap the hand. Did somebody just mention Chad Henney? You're blocked. <laughs> all Twitter haters are welcome. The new podcast segment: Tweets with Omar. <laughs> well, do you remember when we first or when we first started talking about doing a podcast, and we were going to have the thing where Jeff uh, Jeff Ireland called in? And it had like uh, Silence of the Lambs music playing in the background, <laughs> and like people screaming, and then you know, brush us, brush us, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, I do. We were we were really gonna roll with that, and how it turned out, it turned out that Jeff Ireland was this guy who was totally into like S and M and everything, and just all this like unspeakable stuff in his life and I mean the thing with Omar is there's so many catchphrases out there that you can that you can use for him you have to go in all caps my favorite is uh, when he starts out he's like good morning world all Twitter, Twitter haters are welcome to step forward I will block you one at a time so Holy you shit. know so you know uh, five hours ago Omar tweeted I'd like to make an announcement 
I've had a vacancy in Dream Girl Department since my falling out with Stacy Dash. However, spot is filled. Tweet number two. I'd like to formally announce that the new Dream Girl is, drumroll please, Christina Milan. Love the Latin flavor, you know. And flavor is F-L-A-V-A. And then, for those of you who want to know the runners-up, it was Zoe Saldana and Rosario Dawson. Yes, I have a type. Okay. The, the fact that those two beat out, or that Christina Milian beat out those two, is <laughs> is the, the end argument there. Slap the hand. The quarterback four nine thirty division. Now, some, um, but I some Dolphins fan who needs to do is tomorrow. Go on there and tweet Omar and ask him who his favorite new chick is. Just to see if he'll say, check the timeline. <laughs> Here's my the question I always wonder, and I don't really read <laughs> Omar's stuff. Uh, does anyone really like him? Or do, is it just pretty much like a a thing? It's like Cartman, where we just keep him in our lives for entertainment. <laughs> Since I've been blowing, since I've been, since I've been blown up with Ahmad Bradshaw to Miami question, I guess I must address, I must address it. Not sure Miami liked him before getting Bush. Bradshaw can sign with a team at any point, but I'm pretty sure Miami wants to sit on that wad of cap space till free agency starts. What Bradshaw's presence on the market does is create one less team that might be interested in Richie Bush. Now he has more competition. But seriously, folks. The Dolphins plan to start Lamar Miller in 2013. Tailback is in the position of need. Miami is fine with or without Bush. The Dolphins are in a great position from a salary cap standpoint. While teams are purging their rosters this month, Miami's sitting on dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. But can he kill? (laughs) It is all about the kill. So that is our new segment, Tweets with Omar. (laughs) We have tweets with Omar. We should have it where Omar calls in. We just have to think of someone to do it. I just heard some Jello pudding pops. Getting ready to rub my girl's feet. She had ladies' night last night and totally shut me out. That's what a real man does. So, on that note, Duke, do you have anything else for the night? I don't think I can follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just so we know, since we have talked about this before, the the new Seattle group that owns the Sacramento Kings have officially filed for relocation of the Kings franchise. I wonder where they could be going. Um, It it would be amazing to figure out where the Kings could move to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with Albuquerque. (laughs) <laughs> Walla Walla <laughs> We do need a team to move to Walla Walla We absolutely need a team in Walla Walla <laughs> They could be the they could be the Washingtons and have like President Washington's uh uh silhouette as their logo or something so they would be the Walla Walla Washingtons <laughs> Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and end the show on that note. So if you enjoyed our new segment, Tweets with Omar, please let us know in the comments. 
Also, <laughs> please let us know how you don't really care that the Sacramento Kings may be moving to Walla Walla, Washington. Is that a quarterback <laughs> question? Slap the hand. Deuces, bitches. <laughs> Night, everybody. It's the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.